It's a blessing to be with you all in this very beautiful church you have here. Although, unfortunately, I did have one of my students, Sandra Holtzinger, uh, come from the center at BSU, and she had joined you in Mass here, and she said, their Mass was in a gymnasium, but Mass with Father Tuckerman is better than most Masses in Idaho in beautiful churches. So I didn't know how to take that at the time. So I'm a visiting priest from uh, Boise, and I didn't want to, you're not technically my congregation, so I didn't want to preach on anything too divisive or offensive in today's homily. I read the gospel and I thought, why not give a homily about politics of all things? When the Pharisees put Christ to the test, they asked him, you know, should the Jews pay the, the tax to Caesar or not? And what's Fascinating is when they give him that coin, which you can still find today, it has an image of Tiberius. And it says on it, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Because the Romans in that time believed that the, the emperor was divine and that he should be obeyed in all things. So you have Tiberius, the son of the divine Augustus, being placed right next to Jesus Christ, who we believe is the divine son of God. So it's not just about who to pay taxes to. It's about who do we owe our ultimate allegiance of our being to? Who gets the obedience of our will? It's the showdown between two divine sons. And even more, when they say, when Christ asks whose image is on this, that image is it's the word ekonisma, which is where we get the word icon from. Right? And so even in Genesis, when it says that man and woman were made in the image of God, in the Greek it's the same word, the icon of God. So you also, would, between this showdown of two divine sons, you have a showdown between two images. Do we image the state? Do we image the culture? Do we image the, the divine politic? of our nation, or do we image the divine trinity in whose image Scripture says we are made? You know, if you've ever read St. Augustine, he's written a plethora of books. His longest book was The City of God. It's a thousand plus pages. But it can all be brought down to one understanding. He said that this is the essence of Christianity on earth. He said that there are two cities the city of man and the city of God. And where we belong doesn't actually just depend on if you're baptized or not. It's, a, it's an opening to that. But it's whose will do we obey? Where are our desires fundamentally oriented? He said those who belong to the city of man are those who are willing to sacrifice their citizenship in heaven so that they can have their desires filled on earth. All their desires and their willpower is oriented towards this world. That's the city of man. And the city of God is those who are living on this earth, but all of their desires and their ultimate will is determined by their citizenship in heaven. So that's how we, should, he, we must gauge our own place on this earth. Am I living for heaven or am I living for earth? And he said the ultimate sin is to sacrifice our citizenship in heaven 
by denying the commandments or obedience to God so to fit in with the city of man. And what's also fascinating is that, you know, what, what day were the animals created? In Genesis. The sixth day, right? We're good Catholics. We know our Bible very well. So the sixth day is when the animals were created. When was man created? Man and woman. The same day. The sixth day. Isn't that fascinating? You would think that God would have chosen to put them on the fifth day or even the fourth day and then give us our own day. But what that shows in Scripture is that we have both the animal and the spiritual being within us. And that we can, we can go both ways. And actually, if in Satanism, the reason that often Satanism has a half goat, half man, is it's a celebration of the sixth day to remain on the level of the beast, to find our heaven on earth. And one thing, you know, when you look at something like socialism, Marxism, something that Marx once said was the first requisite for the happiness of the people is the abolition of religion. If we can get the people to stop living for heaven, living for their next life, living for God, then we can find and build a utopia on this earth. And I think that's the struggle that every single one of us has to live out in our life of where am I living for? Heaven? Or am I living for earth? And what am I willing to sacrifice to get to that great kingdom? How many of you ever heard of Alexander Solzhenitsyn before? A few? All right. So he wrote the Gulag Archipelago. And he was a man who he spent nine years in the Gulags in, in uh, northern Siberia, uh, prison work camp. It's like 40 below every day, starvation, forced labor. But he went as a, as a diehard communist, right? When, uh, during the kind of the apex of the communist revolution. But when he was in there, he encountered many Christians. Christians who were put into these starvation camps for no other reason than adhering to their Christian faith. And he said, there's one thing that set the Christians apart from everybody else in those camps. He said the Christians refused to lie. He said everybody else amongst the, the communist regimes were willing to go along with what they knew wasn't true in order to preserve their life. But he said the Christians refused to go against their conscience in the end. And this is what he wrote. He said the Christians knew very well for what they were serving time. And they were unwavering in their convictions. They were the only ones, perhaps, to whom the camp philosophy would not stick. And this experience of these Christians who refused to lie, who lived in the truth, it converted him back to the Christian faith. Because he started looking at his life and asking, what are all the ways that I knew I was doing wrong by going along with the government, but I did it just so I could preserve my life? And yet I'm standing before people who are suffering because they refuse to go along with what they know in their hearts isn't true. And this is what he wrote later on after he got out of the prison camp. He said, I came to learn from the Christians that one man who refuses 
to participate in the lie can bring down a tyranny. So this was his motto. He said, you can resolve to live your life with integrity. Let your credo be this. Let the lie come into the world. Let the lies even triumph, but not through me. And they say that him, along with John Paul II, whose feast day we celebrate today, um, were the primary reasons that the communist Russia fell, the communist system uh, couldn't endure. And he said the only reason that comes down to is Christians who refuse to go along with what they know in their heart is not true. And I was really thinking about what this means to live in the divine image of God and, and the fight between giving to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Because we all have to live within society, right? I mean, we, they're, they're, we owe our allegiance to our nation and to the government. That's how you have order. That's why I still can't get out of speeding tickets by saying I'm a priest and I follow God. I've tried it. It does not work. Um, so we still have to give our obedience and our allegiance to what is owed to Caesar. But the great problems come in is when we give to Caesar what belongs to God. And what ultimately belongs to God is truth. And truth is what is under attack in our day more than ever before. Right? And what, what Alexander Schultzenitzen shows us and the great saints is that we must never sacrifice truth in order to get along with the city of man to preserve ourselves. And maybe that's why Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, the icon of God for us, defines Himself as the truth incarnate. And when we want to see what happens to the truth when we are faithful to Him, all we have to do is look at a cross. Jesus Christ died because He refused to deny the truth of who He was and what it means to follow the Father. You know, being on a college campus, I preach from time to time on the Sixth and Ninth Commandment. If you don't know what those are, don't worry about it. But I had one of the students come up to me and they said, Father, why are you always talking about contraception and sex outside of marriage, abortion, and these sorts of things? And I said, well, are you having problems with any of the other commandments you can tell me about? He said, good point. And he walked away. And so it's like, but something that made me think about this is the fact that whatever we believe is always expressed in our bodies. We are corporeal souls, right? So what we believe in our mind, what we adhere to, will always express itself in our bodies for good and for bad. And so being open to life, that's why the, the, the beginning of the downfall of civilization with our bodies began, I'm sorry to be so abrupt with it, but with contraception. Because once we started to protect our bodies in the sexual act, to close ourselves off to reproduction, that was just the opening of the gateway of where we are now with homosexuality, transgenderism, and abortion. Because once we say we can have control of our bodies, that we dominate our bodies so that we could preserve our life on this earth. That's the ultimate sacrifice of heaven to preserve our life for now. That's why one, one woman came up to me. She'd been married for 20 years. She had six children. 
And she said to me, she finally just had her seventh. She closed herself off to life for, for a number of years. And she said to me, I had never realized it, but when you close yourself off to life, you close yourself off to a river of grace that comes from God. And there's nothing more difficult, I think. I think contracepting and a contraceptive priesthood are the two greatest temptations. I understand the second temptation much more. It's, it's the hardest thing in our life to remain open. And that's what being open to the sexual act really means. I'm open to whatever God wants to give me in my life. And great, the great temptation we have is to close ourselves off to take control of our life here on earth. And that's why as we celebrate the feast of um, John Paul II, who was so big on talking about man and woman created the image of God, was also very vocal about our responsibility in the areas of sexual morality. Because that's the ultimate expression of our allegiance to God, is our openness to life to flow through us. Peter Kreeft, he once said, abortion is the Antichrist demonic parody of the Eucharist. Abortion is the Antichrist demonic parody of the Eucharist. That's why it uses the same holy words. This is my body. With the blasphemously opposite meaning. Right? And that's why the essence of what it means to be in the icon of God, to belong to Jesus Christ, and to live out in our own flesh what it means to be a citizen of heaven is all contained in the crucifix and in the Eucharist. What we're doing right now in Mass, entering into the sacrifice of the Mass on Calvary. Because when God became man to express who He is in the flesh, everything was moving towards the Eucharist and towards the cross. Because that is where God reveals who He is as a total gift of love. Total self-offering for others. And our goal when we come to Mass, when we draw closer to Christ in prayer, when we receive His Spirit into us, is that He would carry out that same image within our life. Where my life is not about me. It's not about protecting my plans or my desires on this earth. But I am here for no other purpose but to serve God, to give praise and honor and glory to Him as the psalm says, and to give my life as a sacrifice for others. Let us pray that as we enter into the sacrifice of the Mass, that we may not just hear the words of consecration, but we may be able to say that with our own being, with our own life, with our own family, with our own priesthood. This is my body given up for you.